This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Greetings, and welcome to Domecast. I'm Don Vaughn, here with Danielle Battaglia and Colin Campbell, and we are mere days away uh, from uh, the election. And so many people have already voted, early voting has started, uh, mail and absentee ballots have started. Uh, anyway, it's a it's a crazy chaotic time with, with news breaking around the clock. Uh, any, this week, we are going to talk about not as much of the national newsmakers with North with the attention on North Carolina, which is how voters will pick um, Biden or Trump and the and the U.S. Senate race, but uh, down ballot, not all the way down ballot, but just right after, which is the Council of State, which is a phrase that if people aren't familiar with, that is the ten member board of, of statewide elected leaders that includes the governor, the lieutenant governor, attorney general, secretary of state, labor commissioner, superintendent. Insurance Commissioner, Auditor, Agriculture Commissioner, and Treasurer. So that's a lot of people that run a lot of different state agencies. And it really affects, you know, thousands of of state employees, your dealings with everything across the state. Uh, But they don't always get the same attention as everyone else. The governor's race does, as everyone who's listening, I assume, would know, is incumbent Democratic Governor Roy Cooper versus Republican Dan Forrest, who's the current lieutenant governor. So the lieutenant governor is a really interesting role because in North Carolina, there's not a lot of power. There were something like 17, I think, candidates in the primary, but we're down to just two now from either party. And that race is interesting for a lot of different reasons. Uh, Collins covered that. If you want to start us off with uh, why that's one to watch. Yeah, if you remember back in the uh, primary, you had a boatload of candidates on both the Republican and Democratic side uh, trying to get their shot at being the nominee for lieutenant governor with Dan Forrest uh, stepping down to, to run for governor. Um, and on the Democratic side, uh, state rep uh, Yvonne Holly from Wake County ended up being the winner. Um, and the Republican winner was actually a surprise uh, with all the fairly well-known sort of establishment type Republican figures that were running in the primary. The winner was a guy who's best known for giving a impassioned speech about gun rights to the Greensboro city council that went viral on YouTube. His name is Mark Robinson. Uh, he works in a furniture factory up around uh, Guilford County. And this is his first run for office. Um, but the contrast here is really interesting. I mean, you've got two candidates, both of them are African-American. So you sort of, you know, you have a history making new Lieutenant governor, regardless of which of them wins. Um, but Robinson has very, very strong opinions on his Facebook page. Um, we went through and searched through a lot of them. Um, he believes that transgender people are suffering from a delusion in his words, uh, some language that's been, uh, pretty decisively condemned by the LGBT advocacy groups. Um, he thinks that Muslims are invaders, uh, again, in his words. Um, he also had a, um, Odd movie review of the movie Black Panther, in which he was sort of critical of the filmmaker who he noted was Jewish 
and made a comment about don't give your shekels to them, um, which, you know, has some anti-Semitic potentially overtones to that. Uh, so uh, what's fascinating about this race is that um, the Democrats, not surprisingly, have condemned those comments, but uh, the Republican Party has nothing to say about it. I've asked them for comment. They declined to comment. They continue to run ads with them. Uh, the Democrats have told, uh, called on them to condemn his his words, and uh, Republicans just won't. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that race turns out. Yvonne Hawley is running a much more uh, traditional campaign. She's got an affordable living initiative that's centered around some gentrification issues and related you know, education and economic development topics. Um, her biggest uh, thing in the legislature was this healthy uh, corner store program, which put cooler units in food desert convenience stores so that they could have fresh produce for places where the grocery store is not very close by. Um, so for a number two race, it's pretty fascinating. And, you know, it's it's not a position with a whole lot of power, but if we have a really close balance of power in the state Senate, which is entirely possible if Dems win a few seats, but maybe not quite enough to get the majority, then the lieutenant governor is presiding over the session and doing the tie-breaking votes, uh, which could be really pivotal, uh, pivotal based on which uh, which party gets that. So um, that's definitely one to watch. That uh, I think is get, starting to get more attention. There's a um, ad campaign funded by Michael Bloomberg from a sort of outside group that uh, Jim Morrill and Charlotte wrote about this past week. So I feel like as the governor's race uh, seems to be widening in terms of Cooper's lead in the polls, at least. Uh, particularly Democrats are starting to look at the, the LG race, which is uh, pulling a little bit closer and trying to put some more resources into it. I think the burden on the campaigns, too, is it's generally a, a position that people don't really pay attention to, to who it is and they may not look into it as much. And then they'll it'll just be a party line vote. Um, so part of that, of course, is dependent on us to tell people about it, which I think we've done a good job of. Um, and of course, it's time to plug our voter guide, <laughs> which you can get on the News Observer website um, that has candidate questionnaires that we did for um, for all of the, all of these races and a lot of races across the state. So you can see what they said to uh, we gave Council of State uh, candidates all the the same three questions and. Um, it has some bio information and, and other stuff about that. Um, but that'll be that'll be interesting, I think, to see how, uh, yeah, I mean, it's really like one of those roles you can make your own. Uh, when I talked to, you know, Forrest said his was, you know, pushing on on education issues. He's a big, you know, school choice proponent. So that's what uh, what he's touted is what he's done with the with the office. But um yeah, you have like a, a different kind of power, but not what you had when you were in the legislature. And Purdue had said that to me. I think um, Von Lewis Hawley has, I guess, that recognition from from being in the state and the as a Wake lawmaker. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see how how that extends to the um, to the broader state. And Robinson's Greensboro, right, Danielle? So it, part of it depends on maybe what your population is on where you're. Uh, where you're from and, and, you know, Holly being here. So probably the other, the other big one is, is attorney general. Uh, Danielle, you want to tell us about that? Sure. Uh, the attorney general race is actually quite fascinating to me. You've got um, attorney general Josh Stein, who is a Democrat running um, for his seat again. And then he is up against um, district attorney in Forsyth County, uh, Jim O'Neill and the men are actually very similar in their backgrounds. Like they have, they're the same age. They both have three kids. They're both married, um, both lawyers. 
And um, they're both kind of fighting for the same things. I think both of them have been looking um, at fixing the opioid epidemic in different ways. They've both been looking at um, helping sexual assault victims in different ways. And I'm sorry to everyone hearing my dog squeak a squeaky toy. She did not start till I started talking. Um, But I think the sexual assault kits have been the major issue in the attorney general's race. Um, Josh Stein came out with a commercial that attacked Jim O'Neill basically for a backlog of sexual assault kits saying that he let... I don't remember the number off the top of my head. I think it was like 10,000 be on a shelf. It was 10% of the state's backlog and uh, basically accused him of letting rapists be free on the streets, not caring about the sexual assault kits. And um, Jim hit back and said, you know, I had nothing to do with this. Um, He's not part of the chain of custody. And, um, and Stein's been telling him, step up, you need to step up and, and be a leader. So there's been some friction between the two men on that that's gotten a lot of attention lately um, to the point that one of Josh Stein's employees who worked on the sexual assault kit initiative has actually resigned over the commercial saying that, you know, this accused not just Jim O'Neill, but every district attorney in the state of um, basically not caring about sexual assault kits and not doing what they need to do to get these processed when it's a law enforcement issue. And actually, and he even said law enforcement shouldn't be blamed either because, you know, there were different things going on with uh, the crime lab and not having the resources and not having the funding and the funding didn't really become available to our state till we got a federal grant. And so um, that's been the biggest point of contention between the two men during this race. Do you think attorney general is one of those positions where, um, it, you know, it's, it's more of a party vote if people actually know them or there's name recognition involved? You know, Colin and I were talking about this yesterday and it's kind of interesting because I feel like Josh Stein has made a name for himself um, just with the amount of work he's done in his first term. I, when I was talking to him the other day, I said he's done so much and I've heard so much about his work that I actually forgot he was in his first term. And, uh, but we've seen polls saying that um, Jim O'Neill is actually leading. So it kind of, de- I don't know. I think it's one of those, I honestly think we can't predict how any of these races are going to um, turn out because there's so many people coming to the polls this year. There's so many people with different issues that are like hot topic issues that I don't think we've seen before. So I think it just really depends on who shows up and what ballots are cast. I agree about Stein. It does feel like he's been around for a while, like he's just more familiar. But again, we're in a different line of work than the, than the typical yeah. voter. Sure, I think in a way nationalized the AG's office. When mm-hmm. Cooper was attorney general, you didn't see a lot of uh, suing the federal government over this, that or the other. But you get press releases from Stein's office nearly every day where he joins these national coalitions of Democratic attorneys general um, who are tackling some big hot button immigration or environmental issue at the national level. And I don't think Cooper did that nearly as much. What I remember was, um, I think when he was on my radar is when I was a Durham reporter is that, you know, about the Duke lacrosse case. Um, but that's several years ago now or over a decade ago now. And another sort of the, um, I talked to Stein the other day about, about Cooper for this candidate profile I did on the governor who, who did not agree to an interview with me. Um, so I talked to others around him, including, including Stein as a, a, um, just instead of both, you know, attorney generals and Stein touted, uh, Cooper's, um, consumer protection, um, 
aspect as, as attorney general. And that's not always something that, um, you know, is a big campaign issue or things that you promote, certainly not in 2020 anyway, considering the uh, the kind of mailers that we get. It's interesting what uh, Danielle was saying about the ad from Stein's campaign about O'Neill and you know, as an unaffiliated voter, I get like so much mail and there are a lot of like really hardcore anti uh, Stein ones in my mailbox and I'm sure thousands yeah. of other people. I forgot about that. I actually haven't gotten any ads from the attorney general's race, which is amazing to me because I'm also unaffiliated and I've been flooded with Tillis. Tillis is very popular in my mailbox. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and and the funny thing is they actually sent one to multiple reporters where it's like the media doesn't want you to know this, which is just funny because obviously we do. Here's all the receipts of our 50,000 stories we've written about it. But maybe maybe that'll work on uh, on some voters, I think. So uh, speaking of um, those kind of like ads, we have a, a town hall that we're doing on Tuesday, October 20th. I'm promoting it. I'm the moderator of it. Um, and it's about disinformation where I'm just the the when um, moderating, not it's going to be, uh, we've got people that work in, in journalism, we've got academics, and just talking about what, what to spot, what's behind it, um, both um, just fact-checking and both nationally and, and North Carolina. So uh, if you all want to register for that, you know, everybody's welcome. Of course, it's online during lunch break on Tuesday. Um, and there are links on the Newsroom Observer website if you if you guys want to do that. So we've covered like kind of the, the biggest one. What's there's still controversy in other council of state races, things like the state fair and insurance, which things that you may you may not necessarily think. So yeah, those are surprisingly hot uh, races. Um, Don, you you've covered ag commissioner. That's I mean, I don't think you could have a sharper contrast in candidates than longtime Republican Agriculture Commissioner Steve Troxler and Jenna Wadsworth, the Soil and Water Commissioner, who is very young and uh, running against him with a, a very sort of millennial uh, TikTok related campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, younger millennial. I think she's around like 30 or so, or me, I guess that's mid range now. Um, but they're, they're both white. So, um, but other than that, demographically, they're totally different. Um, you know, Troxler is much older than Wadsworth. Uh, Wadsworth is, is LGBT. Uh, they're both, uh, they're both farmers, different kinds of farmers. Uh, Troxler, um, has a, it's more about agribusness, agritourism, and his, and his own life and what he promotes. Wadsworth grew up on a farm, and the criticism would be to call her a hobby farmer, which she's acknowledged because they, um, you know, they'll, they'll give their produce away. But she certainly knows how to farm, which is, I, I believe, a requirement of being agriculture commissioner, um, as people would think. But aside from that, very different. Um, you know, Troxler. Um, I think in the past has has uh, is or has appeared to be a moderate and and Wadsworth said she's voted for Troxler in the past. But a lot of what she talks about aren't um, in addition to agriculture issues are a lot of like Democratic talking points like, you know, Medicaid expansion. Also, with, with hemp being a, a big deal and um, and what to do with the future of, of that crop and farming. Um, they are both interested in helping farmers, but Wadsworth also just wants to legalize marijuana too, which Troxler doesn't. Um, so that's one thing they're split on. But maybe the biggest thing that most people, the average voter is aware of is the fair, since that I think believe would have been going on right now if it weren't for coronavirus. You can still go get fair food apparently. Which yes, I'm you can go get fair food. But what, um, 
the and something else that's come up a lot, which um, isn't as much of a big campaign issue now, but with all the Confederate statues coming down this year, um, and it's been years that the Sons of Confederate Veterans have been at the state fair, and a lot of people don't like that um, because they hand out stickers with a Confederate flag, and uh, it says something about supporting, you know, heritage, and and you know, everybody knows the, what the Confederacy was, so. Um, Wadsworth has called out Troxler for having received money from a PAC associated with them. Um, and she told me that she, they would, they would not be at the fair, that they would be gone if she was agriculture commissioner where Troxler would keep them and said there hasn't been any trouble, um, at the fair and that he thinks everybody is still feels welcomed where Wadsworth thinks that no, people don't feel welcomed. So I don't know if that's a strong enough issue that people are aware of that they would vote on with agriculture, if they would vote for Steve Troxler because, you know, his name, his, his voice, um, you know, his mustache are easily recognizable um, associated with the fair and agriculture, or if they feel like it's, it's time for a change and somebody new um, bringing new ideas into this, which is what, of course, what, what Wadsworth is pushing. She did get in trouble for a TikTok that she did um, when, when Trump was um, um, diagnosed with with coronavirus uh so yeah that one's that one's more lively than than you would think for average for talking about farming and crops and food so tell us what was the insurance that's insurance on that's is fun uh, and a lot of the fun parts of it have very little to do with insurance itself and the the job that is largely an insurance sort of regulatory agency type position um it's a rematch from 2016 uh if you remember back to then uh, Republican Mike Causey defeated the two-term incumbent uh, Democrat Wayne Goodwin. Uh, Goodwin then left office, became chairman of the Democratic Party, a role he still has today as he's also campaigning to uh, get his old job back. Um, and those two have really been going at it. I mean, there's the whole specter of the Greg Lindbergh bribery scandal that's uh, floating over that. Causey was the guy who wore a wire for the feds and, and helped them uh, essentially bust the uh, GOP leadership um, and the GOP chairman for uh, working with this sort of insurance executive to uh, propose some sort of bribery uh, deal uh, in that. And then, of course, that's resulted in uh, convictions and sentencing. And I think we learned this week that uh, Greg Lindbergh's plea to not go to jail over uh, concerns about COVID-19 has uh, been rejected. So he goes to jail in the next couple of weeks. Um, but, uh, Causey is sort of trying to pin some of that on, um, Goodwin, who hasn't been accused of any wrongdoing, but was in charge of the agency and got a lot of, uh, support from Greg Lindbergh during the, uh, 2016 campaign. Uh, Goodwin himself has been very critical of Causey for, feels like a laundry list of things. Uh, he's concerned about his handling of COVID-19. Department of Insurance was one of the first agencies to uh, encourage and ask their employees to come back into the office environment. And they did have some cases in the office. Um, he's accused Kazi of failing to wear a mask when he goes out and about and, and does appearances at fire departments and things like that. Um, he's claimed that Kazi uh, has been using his uh, office for campaign type uh, videos and events um, and actually even filed uh, some ethics complaints and complaints with the state board of elections over that. I don't think those have uh, resulted in anything so far, um, but there's a lot of uh, talk about two guys who really don't like each other and are uh, going at it pretty hard this year on issues that sort of stray somewhat far from what the insurance commissioner actually does day to day. Yeah, I'd say except, 
maybe Cooper and Forrest as far as candidates that don't like each other, which uh, I'll talk more about uh, Cooper and Forrest in our in our headliner of the week. But before we get to that, any any final notes? on And, and also, you know, for listeners, if you want to find more about like all 10 of these races, like I said, they're all in our voter guide for candidate questionnaires. But we've also done overview stories of all the races in addition to other news coming up. So we're, uh, we're your place for, for coverage of all of this. So any last thoughts before we get a headliner? All right, we'll be back with Headliner of the Week. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And we're back with headline of the week, looking at last week's poll results. Um, we had a one-on-one matchup last week because Don and I were the only ones on the podcast. Um, and our picks were the uh, board of elections member who um, never quite got to take office because of uh, um, allegations of, uh, of sexual abuse from a former uh, partner. And uh, he, he did win that poll uh, with 55% over uh, Dawn's pick, which was the new NC Freedom Park um, near the state capitol complex that got 44% of the vote. Um, still important. So I win last week. But Freedom Park's still important. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a little more long-lasting than the career of this um, almost state board of elections member. Yeah. Headliner of the week is also our uh, time to trash talk each other's picks. So <laughs> that's generally all that works. So <laughs> I'm being quiet for once. <laughs> That's a win for Danielle because she wrote the story about the guy. But. I did take it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you guys are both winners. So, well, speaking of trash talking, my headliner of the week is the gubernatorial debate. Um, you know, we don't get to use the word gubernatorial enough, so I'll use it now. And only one, only one between Governor Cooper and Lieutenant Governor Forrest. And, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time watching Cooper talk <laughs> at press conferences and uh, not as much um, as Forrest as far as out there in, in front of a large audience or at press conferences for that matter. But this was their chance to actually speak to each other. Um, and Cooper came out of the gate, you know, ready. And, and it was about the mass and saying that we've got these plexiglass dividers because of Dan Forrest not wearing a mask. And so they talked about masks and coronavirus for probably half of the hour long debate. Um, and then, you know, talked to about the things that you think they would talk about otherwise. But um, I'm going to say um, the Cooper versus Forrest one and only debate before the election. So that's my entertaining one. I'm kind of missing that we don't have more um, and that uh, we don't even have the, the annual debate where they throw in the third party candidates just for fun. Um, yeah. Done that fast, but the it third was, party guys I talked to this week are not happy that they didn't get to be part of that fun slug fest on Wednesday. It night. was it was lively. And and somebody I mean, if you watch the presidential debate, you're going to be like, what are you guys talking about? Governor's debate was boring in comparison. But but no. <laughs> For, it, it respected um, the moderator more than the presidential debate, but uh, it was the yeah. most animated and I think sort of, I think someone called him aggressive, but just generally like uh, emotional and opinionated Roy Cooper that we've seen. Because normally he's doing the, you know, Mr. Rogers style press conference about COVID. Very even keeled. 
Yes, hard to hard to draw out any uh, change in uh, octave or, or anything so like that. What's that? You've gotten him to change octaves a few yeah. times. Oh, yeah, it's a Medicaid expansion. It's one of those <laughs> got my list of how to get you try to be riled up about something or other. But and, and Cooper called for his Dan repeatedly, which is a, a far cry from a council of state where it's, you know, sir, do you have anything else to share? So so it was fun to see them uh, and out in the field, uh, so to speak, and, and kind of an example of what um, what I missed out on if I got to cover uh, a you know, governor campaign that uh, wasn't during a pandemic. So anyway, that's score one more for COVID messing with everything. All right, Danielle, who's your headliner? I don't know how it could not be the Board of Elections settlement agreement right now where the Board of Elections, um, a judge basically signed off on three changes to our mailed in ballot rules. Um, and basically 10,000 ballots are in question right now. There's 10,000 that have problems that need to be fixed. Um, that's an estimate, by the way, from one of the um, attorneys on the case. But um, they do not know at this point if they can let you fix your ballot with an affidavit saying it's your ballot or if they have to mail you a new one. And even if there's going to be time to get your ballot back to you and to the Board of Elections. And they can't contact these voters until these cases are decided. And right now it's before the Court of Appeals. Court of Appeals is asking for motions by Monday and then planning on hear, hearing the case next week. But we are like on the wire for the election. Um, this has been an argument, I think, for six weeks now. The voting, I think, started six weeks ago and we still don't have a decision like two weeks out. So I think that's what we need to watch. There's 10,000 people who don't know their ballots are affected right now. And uh, that can decide a lot of races, a lot of those down ballot races, right? Yeah. So it's kind of a big deal. And I know like it's probably very complex for our readers to be following because there's so there's three different lawsuits. So many things are intertwined within them. There's been so many like, hey, we're doing this, but no, we're not doing this, but we might do this. But hold on on this. Um, So I would say like read, read well, (laughs) keep up. um, And hopefully it's not your ballot. Yeah, I think if you do think you forgot to put the witness section in and you haven't heard whether your ballot was counted or not, I did see an advisory from the State Board of Elections this week that said that in some of those circumstances, you could go to the early voting site um, or the election day poll and tell them to cancel your absentee ballot and then just vote in person. So if you're worried about it and realize, you know, way too late that you forgot to put a witness signature on there, then maybe that's your best option. Which the Board of Elections, I said I didn't have a witness this morning and they sounded like they felt so bad for me. And I'm like, I'm like quarantined in my apartment by myself. (laughs) Where do you think I'm getting my witness from? I guess your dog doesn't count. I wish she did. That would be helpful. A little paw print on the uh, ballot just to show that she affirms that you're you. Julie agrees. Early voting. Colin, I, if yours isn't early voting, I feel like we got to at least end with an early vote. Oh, yeah, um, that's exactly you, you guessed correctly. I OK, segue. Turn out for the first day of early voting. Um, normally, the, the busiest day of early voting is the last day. Um, and usually the first day is kind of like second busiest. But this was so busy that it set the rec- record for the most votes cast on any day, um, somewhere in the vicinity of like 300,000. As of when we're recording this sort of midday on Friday, the latest stat I have is that 362,000 people have cast their ballots since things opened at 8 a.m. on Thursday. Um, and they've gotten, that's in addition to the incredible number of absentee ballots that have come in. 
which according to an analysis by everyone's favorite political science professor, uh, Michael Bitzer at Catawba College, um, the absentee by mail ballots are nine times more than they normally would be at this stage of the election cycle. So it's a ton of people who want to vote and want to vote as soon as they possibly can. Um, the lines were super long yesterday. I saw our, our colleague Jonas Pope was in line in Nightdale for a solid five hours before he voted. So uh, he wins the voting persistence award for the week for sure. Um, <laughs> so we'll see if the, the crowds die down a little bit next week. That's when I plan to go early vote. So I'm hoping I don't have to stand in line, but we shall see. And yeah, I was going to go because, uh, you know, a bunch of reporters fanned out and I was like, well, I'll go early vote and, and you know, provide a dispatch too. And then uh, you know, Cooper had a press conference. And so since I cover those, I knew I wouldn't have time in a short window compared to what the lines are. But uh, Jerry Cohen, thankfully, tweeted uh, pictures of the line of Lakeland, uh, to, which is where I was going to go to give me a heads up that it was pretty crazy. But it's a pretty like cruddy rainy day today. So maybe that maybe that's a good day for people to go. I don't know. All right. <laughs> I'm Don Vaughn for Danielle Battaglia and Colin Campbell. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the daily print edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com. 